It's been a great, great day. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, if you have a device or a Bible with you. Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look at an incredible passage today because uh, this is one of those passages that a lot of people would say is the most life-changing passage anywhere in the most life-changing book, in the most life-changing uh, place in the Bible. So uh, here we are, Romans chapter 3. Uh, turn there if you'd like to. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your Easter Sunday with us. It's really an honor. It's really a privilege to have you here today, and we are so, so glad that you chose to spend your Easter with us. I want to ask you to think about this for just a moment. Uh, if you saw a penny lying on the ground, you know, would you bend over and pick it up? It takes the average U.S. worker about two seconds to earn a penny, so most people would say no. I mean, we kind of throw them away, we kind of cast them off, things like that. But how do you know for certain, like if you saw a penny just laying around in the parking lot at Walmart, you know, how would you know for certain exactly how much that penny is worth? Back in 1947, there was a guy, his name was Don Lutz, and he got a penny in his change at the high school cafeteria. And it looked kind of odd to him. And he kind of thought, it's kind of kind of neat looking. So he thought maybe it'll be worth something someday. So he kind of put it in, uh, uh, you know, like a little uh, place in his, in his uh, drawer. And he, hang on, he hung on to it. And he was correct. This odd penny that he'd gotten when he was back in high school in 1947, it was a bronze penny. It was an accident at the Mint. And so in 2019, Mr. Lutz passed away, and his family auctioned the penny, and they got $204,000 for that single cent, all right? And so you just never know what something might be worth. And I want you to think about this. Why would somebody who's like a, maybe a coin collector or somebody like that pay so much for a single cent? Think about this. The worth of something is decided when someone decides what it's worth to them. That's why, you know, baseball cards, comic books, old cars, things like that. People pay enormous amounts of money because they decided it's worth it to them. I want to ask you to look at the cross today. It's over to my right, to your left. I want you to think about the cross today. We're going to be looking at how much worth God places on you today and on me today. And I want to tell you, this has been so good for my heart. Uh, studying this, thinking about this this week's been good for my soul. And it all kind of started with a quote that I read from a guy named Lewis Smeets. And I, you know, uh, read some of his books. He wrote 15 different books and big bestsellers for years and years. And he said this, this was actually several years ago, but I want you to see this quote. Anyone who can see the needs of people today must recognize that the malaise of our time is an epidemic of self-doubt and self-depreciation. Those whose job it is to heal people's spiritual problems and wounds, know that the overwhelming majority of people who seek help are people who are sick from abhorring themselves. And a prevailing sense of being without worth is the pervasive sickness of our age. Wow, isn't that powerful? So good. I sang too loud. I'm sorry. I, I got a, hmm, a little drink. But, you know, we're living in a nation today where there are record levels of, of anxiety, uh, depression, uh, suicide, mass shootings, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. Why? What's going on? There's a crisis of worth in our country today. Everyone who's struggling with anxiety, the root of that is a sense of worth. Everyone who's battling depression, suicidal thoughts, where does that stem from? A sense of worth. Everyone who works too hard, everyone who drinks too much, everyone who neglects their health, it all relates back to worth. Every person who's in a relationship where they're doing all the giving and getting none of the receiving, why? Why would you endure a relationship like that? Worth. It goes back to worth. Every person in the grips of an addiction, whether it's alcohol, prescription drug, whatever it might be, it's all about worth. 
every person who's really struggling to grow spiritually and just mature in God. They feel far from God. Why? The issue is worth. Now, if you can't find a strong and reliable sense of worth any any time in your life, you and I are going to struggle our entire lives if we cannot find that place of worth and that way to find worth that is going to just build into our hearts and our minds. If we never have that, we're going to struggle. But the world around us is going to do something. It's going to offer you and me a pathway to worth, and we're all going to try our best to follow it. I know that I have. I really have. I had my 58th birthday this week, and I've been reflecting a little bit on a lot of things. And what's the pathway to worth? First of all, it's achievement. I, you know, I'm going to do great things that no one else is willing to do or willing to make the sacrifices for. And so that's how I'm going to gain a sense of worth. Then there's affluence. I'm going to, I'm going to earn as much money as I possibly can. And then you show people exactly how much money you've made. It's called conspicuous consumption. And actually you're showing people a little bit more than you make. All right. Cause you're kind of going debt to do it, but you want people to, you want to have a sense of worth. And so you try to show off, you know, affluence. And then there's also appearance. I'm going to do everything I can. You know, any amount of money, no amount of work, any amount of work to make myself beautiful or, or handsome or, or athletic. And that way, you know, people will have to praise me. And so I'll find a sense of worth in my appearance. And there's the affection part of that. You know, worth comes to us from how many people love us, all right, and how well they love us. And we think about worth being found in relationships. And, and so we, we depend so heavily on, on a spouse or our children or our friends to give us a sense of worth something they were really never supposed to do. And I want to ask you to think about this. How many people are addicted to a chemical today? And it all started when they wanted to be liked so badly. They were looking for a sense of worth in the affection of a group of friends who said, yeah, we'll be your friend as long as you do this with us. How many people today are killing themselves to get ahead in a career and just wrecking their family, wrecking their health? And that need to achieve or that need for affluence traces back to a deep desire to prove their worth. How many people today are in these one-sided relationships, like I said a moment ago, doing all the giving, getting none of the taking, and they're living with that heartache day after day, year after year, and they don't believe they're worthy of anything better? How many young women look in the mirror, and they see themselves in photographs, and they feel sadness because they're comparing themselves to computer-enhanced photographs of other women who've devoted their entire lives to their appearance and their sense of worth is built into their appearance. You know, perhaps you're here today, and if we're just getting really honest over a cup of coffee, you might say, you know, Les, when no one else is around, there are times that tears just well up in my eyes because I just feel so worthless. Maybe your parents made you feel worthless. Maybe your friends, and then a spouse, and maybe your children. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it's just life. Life has a way of just making us feel worthless at times. The great news for all of us here today is that there is a profound message in Easter and in the cross. What other people will work all their lives to achieve, which is a sense of worth, is freely offered to you and to me. See, the cross and the resurrection just sends out a message to all humanity. You are worth so much to God. But to understand Easter, I want us to go back for a moment to Eden. You know, back when uh, my kids were small, 
Uh, I remember one time Melanie was out of town. And you know how it is when you're a dad and mom leaves, you know, you're like, hey, kids, let's eat all the junk food we can possibly stand. And when mom gets home, tell her we had kale, you know, that kind of thing. And so we were kind of doing something like that. And uh, we were just eating like pigs. And my son, my younger son, Brady, he's probably four or five years old or something like that. And I, I, made, I baked him some cookies. I got that homemade, uh, that store-bought cookie mix, and I made him some cookies. And I remember I had on the hot pad, and I pulled this cookie sheet out of the oven, and Brady wants a cookie in the worst way, all right? And he comes over, and he starts to reach for a cookie. I was like, Brady, 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 wait, stop. That's hot. If you touch that, it's going to burn your fingers. I'll never forget, because Brady looked me right in the eye, and he just reached down and grabbed the cookie. <laughs> All right. It's like, I don't believe a word you're saying. All right. He reached out and he burnt his little fingers. He started howling. And I'm over there putting his finger under the cold water. I told you, I told you. And when, what happens when mom gets home? Mom, you know, daddy burned me. Daddy burned me. And, uh, you know, so he comes home and mom and Melanie's like, what happened? I said, he is a sinner. All right. That's just what it is. I told him not to. I blame your family. This is from your side of the family that this is happening. All right. I want you to think about the garden for a moment, all right? When God created mankind, he placed them in a perfect, pure environment, and he gave them one simple directive. He said, there's, there's one tree in this paradise I don't want you to eat from, but the serpent tempted Eve to defy God and rebel against God from that fruit, from that one tree in the garden. Why? Because he said, you know what? You're, you're just not there yet. You just need a little bit more. What was he doing? He was, he was building into her a sense of worthlessness. You know, you're, you, know you need more. You're not, you're not okay the way you are, all right? And he appealed to a, a, a need for more worth. And in case you're wondering, by the way, why the devil tempted Eve instead of Adam, what man has ever been tempted by fruits or vegetables? You know, you think about that. If the devil would have had bacon, you know, Adam would have folded like a wet newspaper, okay? But there was no bacon there. But then Adam did, did get the fruit, and he did eat the fruit. And I want you to think about this today, that the moment that he sunk his teeth into that fruit and the juice ran down his chin, that meant that one day the, 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 the blood of the sinless Son of God would have to run down a cross. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. In the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. You know, thousands of years later, the sinless Son of God is born among us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He illuminated the darkness. And then he was betrayed by one of his students, one of his disciples. He was given an illegal mockery of a trial based on false charges. He was horrifically beaten. He was whipped, spit upon, and a crown of thorns was pressed into his head. And then they took Jesus to a hill outside the city limits called Golgotha. And the English translation of that is the skull. And Jesus was on that cross for six hours before he said, Father, I, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he died. It's really important to understand that the Roman soldiers did not take Jesus' life from him. He gave it. The nails did not hold Jesus to that cross. It was his love for you that held him to that cross. He said in John chapter 10, I give my life. No one takes it away from me. I give my own life freely. So some friends put his body into a grave, a tomb that a wealthy man had provided. They rolled a huge stone over the entrance. And on the third day, the Sunday morning, in a staggering moment in human history, 
the power of creation burst into the tomb and then Jesus, where Jesus' body lay, and the earth was shaken. Listen to this. This is from Matthew chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled back the stone. His appearance was like lightning, and the guards were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. They passed out. And the angel said to the women who were there, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. And that shaking of the earth, it's a metaphor, an illustration, so to speak, that there was a tectonic shift in the world that day. The entire structure and architecture of how our world works was fundamentally and radically changed that day. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, But now, a righteousness from God apart from law, apart from achievement and appearance and affluence, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. You could write the word made innocent, made innocent by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I know you might look at that passage and say, man, that's a lot of big words. There's some amazing fundamentals here in this passage. Number one, that the cross initiates an entirely new era of human history. Look at those first two words, but now. But now. Two of the most powerful words anywhere in your Bible. But now, Jesus has died on the cross for you. But now, Jesus' blood cleanses you from all your sins. But now, Jesus has risen from the dead. But now, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. But now, Jesus is right there at the right hand of God, pleading your case pleading your innocence and saying, Father, they have sinned. Yes, it's true, but my blood covers their sins. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the right hand uh, in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Do you see that? over and over again. It's for you. What a great sense of worth that we get from the cross, knowing that Jesus died for us. And can anything ever separate us from God's love? No. The answer is no. But now, but now, you know, but now you can enter into a new era in your life. It's not just a new era in world history. It could be a new era in your history. You don't have to continue searching for worth where it can't be found. It can't be found in those other places. It's like the cookies. It's like the apple. It's just going to burn you. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, you can find your worth in Him. And now, now is the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, God says, At the right time I heard your prayers, and on the day of salvation I helped you. And I tell you that the right time is now, and the day of salvation is now. You know, there in your seat, I, I put a little card. Uh, almost everybody should have one, I believe, but... You know, it says, you know, hill worth dying on, uh, on the back. It, it explains what eternal life is. 
If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, your personal Savior, and you've searched the world over looking for all these places for a sense of worth and meaning in your life, that comes from the cross. It comes from Christ, knowing him personally. And you can see more about that here on this card. Look at also, too, the Bible says here that the cross erases your sins. All right, I love that video. Control-Alt-Delete, all right, for all your sins. That was amazing. Because look at verse 21. He says, a righteousness from God apart from law. Or you might say this, apart from anything you could ever achieve on your own has been made known. We ask most people what righteousness means. Most everyone thinks it has to do with behavior. But righteousness in biblical terms is not so much about what you do. It's about who you are, that God has declared you innocent before him. And see, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your personal savior and you believe in him, you trust in him, something extraordinary happens when God looks at you, he sees you as not guilty. He sees you as worthy, as if all your sins, all your failures have just been erased. Colossians chapter two says, God made you alive with Christ when he forgave all our failures. And he did this by erasing the charges that were brought against us. He took those charges away and nailed them to the cross. Hmm. I love that passage so much. And I want you to think about what most people in the world have to live with every day. Seven billion people in the world. They all have to live with the same two questions every day. What's gonna happen to me when I die? Am I good enough to get into heaven? Live that every day. If you're Jewish, you're going to follow the 10 commandments. If you're Buddhist, you're going to follow the eight-fold path. If you're Muslim, you're going to adhere to the five pillars of Islam. If you're Hindu, you're going to perfectly fulfill the four purposes of life. Did you notice all the numbers, all right? There's always a number there. You don't know where you stand with God until you're standing before God on judgment day. But for the Christian, because of the cross, we know all of my sins have been erased and it doesn't come at the end of my life. It becomes now. And I can know for sure what my standing with God is and I don't have to wait. And I can serve God, not out of fear, but out of love and adoration and gratitude. Romans 4, 4, 5 says this, people are counted as righteous, not because of their works, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Hmm. I can never get enough of that. The third thing is this, though. I love this one. Is that through the cross, you and I are enabled to escape, to escape from the power that sin has over us. Look at verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know what really kills our worth in life? Is this whole attitude, I fell short. I thought I would be better. And I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think so many times, I thought I'd be a better man. Uh, I thought I'd be a better husband. I thought I'd be a better parent. I really did. I thought I'd be a better person than I am now. Maybe you're here today. Man, you're giving life all you've got. And it's just not been enough. And your sense of worth is taking a beating. And you're asking yourself, why? Why don't I have what it takes to be the man, to be the woman, to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the mom, to be the dad that I want to be, to be the person that I want to be? Well, you know, years ago, uh, I was at the BCAC out at Frank Phillips shooting some baskets. 
And uh, in my younger days, I was, a pretty, I was a pretty good basketball player. Uh, and uh, this basketball player from Frank Phillips walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to play some one-on-one. And I was a pretty good you know, play, player back then. And I looked, and I had a good size advantage. And I was a youth pastor at the time. I thought, you know, if I get hot, hit a few lucky shots and get a win, I can go back and brag to my youth group about it. So, I, so you know, I said, okay, I'll tell you what. You know, we'll do first one to 10. You got to win by two. And man, we go to work. I played my hardest. We didn't need to win by two thing, all right? I got smoked like a cheap cigarette. I really did. <laughs> it was really, really humiliating. And then she said to me, she said, <laughs> she, she said, it looks like you got owned. <laughs> you got owned. I said, man, I did. I said, you don't have to be so cocky. And she said, be careful not to slip on your tears on the way out of the gym, you know? <laughs> It was tough. She's just a mean girl, a really mean girl. She really was. I'll never forget her. But that girl who beat me so bad in basketball, she said, you got owned. And the same is true for you and me. From the moment you and I sinned and we knew what we were doing, we knew we were defying God. We knew we were going against God. It probably happened around age 8, 9, 10, or 11. All right? We got owned. The Bible tells you and I in many, many places we've been owned by sin, that we are a slave to sin. Romans chapter seven, Paul said this, I'm a mortal sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do for I don't do what I would like to do, but instead I do what I hate. But did you catch in a moment, a moment ago, we said that word redemption. The word redemption is a word from the slave market in the ancient world. You look at the original Greek, it's from the slave market. And it means that God paid the price, the ransom, so to speak, for your freedom and mine. And what was the price? It was the the life of his one and only son. God so loved you and me that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but instead would have everlasting life. Titus chapter three says, we were once foolish, disobedient, and wrong. We were slaves to passions and pleasures of all kinds. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, was revealed, he saved us. And it wasn't because of any good thing we had done, but because of his mercy. You see, Jesus believed that that hill, Golgotha, the skull, it was a hill worth dying on because he felt like you were worth it. And the last thing I want to say is this real quickly, that because of the cross, there's this incredible exchange that takes place. You know, Melly and I got to go to Poland on a mission trip years and years ago. We first got married. And back in 1991, they had runaway inflation. Their economy was a wreck. And the exchange rate of the time was 17,000 Polish dollars to one American dollar. It was incredible. So Melly and I, after the mission trip was over, we kind of hung around in Warsaw. And we went and stayed at a five-star hotel for like the price of a Motel 6. It was awesome and went to gourmet restaurants. And I had, I, had, I had shark steak one night for about what it would cost me to get a Big Mac, all right? My, my dollars were, were worth so much more to them than they were to me. You see, there was a worth to them in American dollars that I could not see, I could not appreciate. And I want you to think about this. The history of the Bible is a story of God finding worth in people that, are massively messed up that no one else finds worth in. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Uh, Gideon was a coward. Samson was a drunk. 
David was an adulterer. Mary Magdalene was insane. Peter was a deserter. Paul said, I was a violent man. I could go on and on. None of them had, had it together. You know, sometimes we're in the Walmart parking lot in the summer. You ever see those pennies that are kind of like pushed down into the, into the tar, you know, in the asphalt? And you think, well, no one's ever going to get that penny. It's lost forever. And I want you to think about the Lord in the case of each of those people, in the case of you and me. Picture the Lord just reaching down and pulling out a pocket knife and digging down into that asphalt. Like, I'm going to get that penny out of that black ooze that's down there. That's what the Lord does for you and me, isn't it? Our lives are mired in sin, and we're stuck. And everyone walks past, except one person who says, you know what? Pull out that pocket knife. She's worth it to me. He's worth it to me. Still the case today. Verse 25, it says, God presented him as a sacrifice. Hmm. I know there's a lot of big words in that passage, but I want you to focus on that. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice. There's no way humanly possible to overstate the magnitude of those words. That Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. That that hill was a hill worth dying on, and it was God who put him there. Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, the very first sermon ever preached in what was called church history. He said, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. And this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. See that word presented right there? That word in the original language, it means to do something with intent and forethought. God sacrificed his son on the cross because it was something he had decided beforehand he was going to do. And I said a moment ago, the moment that the juice from that fruit ran down Adam's chin, the blood of Jesus was going to have to run down that cross. God exchanged him for you and for me. That's why John, 1 John 4 says this, this is the embodiment of true love. Not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his unique son on a special mission to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What could possibly prompt God to exchange his perfect, pure, sinless, spotless son for a sinner like me? God sees worth in you and me that no one else can see. Maybe your parents never saw it. Maybe your friends have never seen it. Perhaps your spouse or your children have never seen it. Perhaps you've never even seen it. But God sees it so vividly and so well. And here's what you and I will do. You and I are going to go around our lives. We're going to try to find worth and affluence and appearance and affection and, and, and achievement. All those things, we're going to do that. And I just want to ask you to consider this today. Man, you don't want to take the cookie. You really don't. All of us, our fingers have been burned many, many times 
We have scars on our bodies. We have scars on our hearts. Why? We've tried to take the cookie so many times. I'm going to try to find my worth in my work. I'm going to try to find my worth in my family. I'm going to try to find my worth in my kids. I'm going to find my worth in my friends. And we keep taking the cookie and we get burned every time. Burned every time. You know, my oldest son uh, and my youngest daughter are here this weekend. And, and it's been great having them home. And uh, my, my son and I, we were doing some work around the yard yesterday. We sat down. We talked for a little while. And, uh, and I was just telling, his name's Ben. And I was just telling Ben, I just got really honest with him for a few minutes. And I just said, I, I know when, I, when y'all were young, I, I pushed y'all too hard. I was, I was just too hard on you. And, and like I said, I wish, I, been, I wish I'd been a better parent. I really do. But I, just, I pushed my kids so hard. And what I didn't really have the courage to tell him sitting there at the bar, what I would tell him right now, is that, yeah, I was really looking for a sense of worth through him and through Brady and through Hannah and through Hope, looking for a sense of worth through them, looking at all the wrong places. All right, Hannah, you know, I'm, I'm taking the cookie. I'm taking the cookie is what I'm doing because I'm a sinner. It's only one place that you and I can find the strong and reliable sense of worth that we need. And that is with a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So I want you to look at this one verse before we go. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, the very last book in the Bible, one of the last words from Jesus. And he said this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, come in where? The deepest chambers of your heart and your soul. I'll come in, I'll eat with you. (laughs) You will eat with me. Wow. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to have a friendship. Why? Because you're worth so much to me. You're worth, you mean so much to me. You're worth it to me. It's incredible to think of, isn't it? It truly is. It truly is. And so this morning, we're going to sing one more song before we go today. Thank you so much for spending your Easter with us. Here's what I want to do. I want to give a little bit of invitation today. If you're here this morning... You've never known what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then I want you to really look at this card before we leave today. It talks about admitting that you're a sinner, that you fall short, believing that Jesus did pay the penalty for your sins, and trusting in Jesus as your personal Savior. If that's what you'd like to do today, you can ask Jesus, say, Lord Jesus, I believe these things. I believe these things are true, and I'm asking you to be my Savior today. Because I know I can find my worth in you. I've looked everywhere else and I know I can be, I can, it can be found in you. Then absolutely do that. All right. Uh, we're going to be quiet here in a moment. You can pray and ask Jesus to be your savior as you look at this card and you think on those things. And I'm going to be down here at the front as we sing this last song. It's called Living Hope. What an incredible way to end the Easter day. The living hope of Jesus. And I'll be down here at the front. If you'd like to just talk about that some more, I would love to just step over to a private place and just talk with you about your relationship with the Lord. If you're here today, you, you know, you're like, Les, I, I'm, I'm really struggling because, man, my sense of worth has been taken a pounding. If I could just pray with you today, I'd be so honored to do that. But I would also say, if, if, if you don't come down the aisle, but you've asked Jesus to be your Savior today, if you're going to do that today, write your name on that card, drop it in the offering box, and we'd just love to get in touch with you and let you know we love you. We really would. Let's bow our heads for a moment. So I just want to be quiet for a moment. And I just want to ask you to pause. 
and ask yourself an honest question. Where have I been looking for worth? Have I been looking in affluence, achievement, appearance, affection? Where have I been looking for worth? If you've been looking anywhere other than Jesus and the great worth that he places upon you, the one who died on the hill for you, and just tell him you're sorry. Tell him you've been wrong. Confess that as a sin. Say, Lord Jesus, I've been wrong. Would you please forgive me for looking for my worth in any place other than you? And if this morning you would ask Jesus to be your Savior, your personal Lord and Savior, you just go to him and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. I know you died on that hill for me. Lord Jesus, I need you today. I confess that I believe that you died for me. Today could be that day, but now, but now could be today for you. So I'll be quiet for just a moment. I ask you just to spend some time with the Lord before we go today, because it is Easter Sunday. We should be mindful of God today. Then I'll pray for us, and we'll sing that last song together. And Father, I just want to pray for that person here today who's been looking for worth in, in, all, in any, any other thing other than you, Father, whether it's been a, a, a marriage, a relationship, a, a parenting, a career, uh, Father, whatever it might have been. I just pray, Father, that that person will be set free today, set free from that, free to find their worth in you and, and your relationship with them. And I just thank you, Jesus, that you look upon us so fondly today. And Lord, I just ask, Father, if there's anybody here today that's never trusted you to be their Savior, their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be that day, Father, that they would do so. And Father, we just ask that you would just move in our hearts here today in a very powerful way. Lord, just draw us to the cross. Draw our eyes to the cross and all the worth that we can find there. We just love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen.